Thank you very much to our guests for joining us today for this People's Health Movement hosted webinar. My name is Kate Stegeman. I work for the MSF Access Campaign and Advocacy and Research role. And today I'm very happy to announce that the guests who will be joining us range from a number of countries. So we have Mr. Patrick Tipu, who is Head of Science and Innovation at BioVac here in South Africa. He is a founding member and the current executive director of the African Vaccine Manufacturing Initiative, advocating for the establishment of vaccine development and manufacturing capacity in Africa. Some of you may be familiar with um, that initiative uh, linked to the African Union. He currently serves as vice president of the Developing Country Vaccine Manufacturing Network and is on the board of the recently formed Emerging Bioceuticals Manufacturing Network. If during the webinar he uses the acronyms, please just flag it in the chat and we can always you know, get our PHM colleagues to explain those for you. Then we have Sun Kim who has her PhD and is Director of Health Policy Research Center at the People's Health Institute in Seoul, South Korea. She has researched vulnerability in healthcare and access to medicines and pharmaceutical production from a political economy of health perspective. She has served as Southeast Asia and Pacific Region Coordinator of People's Health Movement since 2019. Then we are also joined by Gustavo Mata, who is a social psychologist with a PhD in public health, working at Oswaldo Cruz Foundation in Brazil. Gustavo is a public health researcher at the National School of Public Health, coordinator of Zika Social Sciences Network since 2016, and is also a coordinator of the social impacts of COVID-19 at Fiocruz COVID Observatory. So we have a very impressive panel and we thank you very much um, for joining us. So over to you, Patrick, please go ahead with your presentation. Thanks a lot, Kate. Um, just checking whether you can hear me and whether my presentation is popping up on your side. I'll let you know when you're when it's on the screen, Patrick. It's just buffering. There we go. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's the that's the stress gone. Um, so now we can ease into the presentation. Thanks for the invitation to participate in this uh, panel discussion. And I put together a few slides just to sort of uh, direct my thoughts and rely on the fact that uh, we will open uh, into a, it will open up into a broader panel discussion later through your questions, Kate, and, uh, and from the floor as well. But just to set the scene, I'll be talking and sharing some perspectives about vaccine manufacturing in Africa and where we are now. So uh, you mentioned the African Vaccine Manufacturing In Initiative, AVMI. AVMI was established with the sole purpose of uh, advocating for the advancement of sustainable human vaccine manufacturing capacity on the continent of Africa. Um, we did a piece of work as AVMI in collaboration with WHO, also supported by UNIDO a number of years ago. 2016, 2017, this report came out. And I just want to highlight that way back then, there was this understanding that there was a need for multiple players on the continent. Not every country ought to have its own vaccine production capacity, but it required significant levels of political and technical support as well. And this needed to be through a clear, well-founded uh, strategy, a coherent regional policy framework, and it needed a thorough planning approach. 
dependent on developing an ecosystem that would enable this. And I'll touch on that a little bit later as well. Where are we with vaccine production in Africa currently? Obviously, this has been a topic of interest because of COVID. And I think we all realize that Africa lags far behind in terms of having its own capacity to produce vaccines at scale and specifically COVID vaccine at scale. The the countries, Senegal, Tunisia, Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, South Africa, are countries where either vaccine manufacturing activities take place already, or there is serious commitment to bring these capacities online in the immediate future. And I'm referring here to Morocco and Algeria, particularly with respect to COVID-19 vaccine. There has been uh, decades of vaccine manufacturing capability on the continent in Senegal, Tunisia, Egypt, and South Africa. Morocco and Algeria have joined the manufacturing plan, as it were, uh, through their relationships with uh, companies in China for COVID-19 vaccine production. Ghana and Rwanda and Nigeria are amongst uh, other African countries who have stepped forward with plans to establish vaccine manufacturing capacity. And I think the other thing to note that might be worth noting is the establishment of the WHO um, mRNA technology hub um, in South Africa uh, through a consortium um, of uh, South African entities, which includes BioVac and Afrigen, the South African Medical Research Council, and a number of universities. So at a very high level, this is the state of play. There, is, there are huge gaps, and we can talk about that later in the, the Q&A, where we can drill down uh, deeper into what those gaps are and uh, what could be done to plug those gaps. I think this is an important point that I'd like to make, that, that it's one thing to establish vaccine manufacturing capacity, although it's very challenging, it's, it's extremely challenging, but I think we mustn't lose sight of the fact that we need to sustain it once it's uh, established. And there are specific factors that we need to consider in terms of the sustainability of, of what is going to be established on the continent and expanded on the continent. What are some of these, some of these challenges? Um, I think that we find ourselves in the situation in the COVID-19 uh, uh, mirror that has been provided to us and are confronted with the stark reality that we are caught napping. Uh, we, have, we have a dependence on outside uh, supply of, of vaccines. And why is this so? And I think there are a number of factors that one can point to, but one of them is we have lacked the vision over the past 10 or 20 years to really come together to ensure that this capability can be built. Thankfully, um, politically and otherwise, there have been concerted efforts which have culminated in what we now refer to as the Partnership for African Vaccine Manufacturing, the PABM. And this is the vision of the PABM led by the African CDC, supported by AVMI and other organizations. And what I want to point out on this slide is that the vision includes vaccine development as well as vaccine manufacture. 
And that's important uh, in terms of breaking the cycle of dependency uh, to a greater extent. Um, if we only uh, rely on vaccine manufacture, we are still dependent on technology transfers for the manufacture of drug substance and drug product on the continent. So vaccine development uh, capability or capacity building is equally important. This is part of the framework that's being developed. So the focus, while the focus is primarily now on COVID-19, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that uh, the business case uh, uh, must include other vaccines, uh, other vaccine candidates as well. So we need to look at uh, other African uh, pathogens, future potential pathogens which might present a risk globally and create uh, future pandemics. Uh, but the bedrock of building the business case rests on routine immunizations, vaccines for routine immunization. And this poses a specific challenge with respect to the market. Just to note that this is part of the, the work streams within the PAVM. So I'm just going to highlight, Kate, that the other challenges deal with market access and policy. And we can explore that uh, later in the Q&A. Um, access to product and access to technology are key issues that we have to deal with on the continent in terms of uh, capability building associated with workforce development. And then the partnerships. Uh, those partnerships need to be incentivized. And so for me, these are the four or five key issues that we need to wrestle with. And I'd be happy to discuss this uh, together with my colleagues uh, later on. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for sure, we'll be coming back to looking at market access and, and definitely technology transfer and, uh, you know, a few other issues related to intellectual property and that sort of thing in the discussion. But without much further ado, over to you, please, Dr. Sun Kim. Thank you. So let me directly start the, my presentation on local projection of vaccines in South Korea. First, where are we now? I got three questions from the host, so I tried to answer those th three, actually two questions. Uh, the first question. So this is the situational overview of regarding COVID-19 vaccine production in South Korea. So there are ongoing two types of uh, production. One, contract manufacturing of authorized products of foreign uh, companies, and the other, small-scale production for clinical trials of South Korean companies' candidates. The ones in blue and bold are public manufacturing uh, facilities, which I will introduce in detail later. And as you can see, uh, SK Bio produces Astra AstraZeneca vaccine and also have contracted with Novavax, the so-called CBMO, but this has not been yet authorized. So... Two other uh, consortia produce Sputnik, but this, has, this vaccine has not been authorized in South Korea, so all go to other countries. Samsung Bio produces Moderna vaccine, but only fit and finish. And some of these locally packaged ones uh, have been supplied to Korean people. Uh, and the government has never uh, imposed an export ban over any locally produced vaccines. Several local companies are developing their own vaccines. And the most promising one is the SK-Bio vaccine, which is under the phase three trial. And this one has got investment from SEPKI as well as from the South Korean government. Uh, I, I expect neither of them imposed any conditionality over their investment. 
We do not exactly know about the manufacturing capacity of private companies, especially how they are allocating their capacities between different projects. At least we can say that we have these proven manufacturing uh, capacities of different platforms, either large or small scale, uh, either of uh, drug substance or drug product. Unlike private companies, public manufacturing uh, facilities make public their capacities. Here I show you uh, all the public vaccine manufacturing uh, facilities that are doing uh, either large or small scale production of either foreign or South Korean companies. Note that uh, these are not uh, public pharma, but are CMO facilities. Uh, South Korea does not have and has never had public pharma. These facilities are mostly under the Ministry of Industry established and has been run to support the private pharma. The second is the main challenges of developing vaccine manufacturing in South Korea. For COVID-19 vaccines, it was important for AstraZeneca, Gamalea, or Moderna to find manufacturing partners as they did not have uh, enough capacities and the worldwide demand would be, would be uh, enormous. So some South Korean companies were chosen as their partners. But other than the COVID-19 vaccines, the self-sufficiency rate of uh, vaccines in South Korea has rather low compared with other countries with big pharma. So in 2017, there was a lack of supply of even BCG, DTAP, or IPV vaccines like NIP vaccines. And uh, these uh, led uh, our government to uh, temporarily readjust our NIP vaccination guideline. So it was the year of 2010 that the government set the ambitious goal uh, to increase the self-sufficiency rate of uh, vaccines from 25% to 80% in 10 years. Since then, the government has provided all kinds of uh, financial and non-financial support to the vaccine industry without any conditionality. And the original target of 80% has kept repeatedly readjusted and has not been achieved even until now. So I'd like to uh, present the two challenges of developing vaccine manufacturing in South Korea over the past decade. The first one is the private pharma and the private providers. Unlike uh, NIP, the non-designated population and other uh, vaccines prices are not controlled by the government. So note that uh, South Korea has national health insurance system combined with the private uh, dependent provision system and based on the fee-for-service reimbursement. So the private providers uh, are more motivated to uh, prescribe non-NIP vaccines and the private pharma is more motivated to develop and uh, produce those profitable ones. This is uh, clearly mismatch between the government support and the private motivation, which has led to the stagnant uh, self-sufficiency rate, I guess. And the COVID-19 vaccine case is very unusual, free for all and procured and distributed by the government. And the second challenge is the IP disputes with the TNC. So I am showing the example of PCV vaccine market, which has been monopolized by Pfizer and GSK. But in South Korea, the market share of Pfizer one has been greater than 90%. And SKBio actually developed their own PCV vaccine, but was sued by Pfizer and lost. So they cannot sell it by 2026. And this, I mean, there expects even more evergreening strategy by, uh, by Pfizer. 
at least one good news uh, for SK Bio is that they won the lawsuit uh, regarding the their technology transfer to a Russian company. Uh, regarding mRNA type COVID-19 vaccine, the government patent office recently uh, produced, I mean, released a report with an analysis that out of 691 relating patents, only 17% has been applied in South Korea, which is lower, uh, way lower, and means uh, less risk than other countries, and very similar with uh, South America. Under this context, uh, it may be very weird to see that the South Korean government does not support the TRIPS waiver. Uh, one possible explanation, I think, is its ambition to become a global vaccine hub. Uh, with the support from the U.S. government and the U.S. companies. So this picture is uh, back to last May when our president uh, visited the U.S. to sign a contract with uh, U.S. government for Coras Vaccine Partnership. So the government, our government, may be trying to uh, gain trust as a site for uh, sub-licensing of patented products and also be trying to protect our local development and manufacturing as well without the TRIPS waiver. And I am leaving this third question for our panel discussion. What is needed to overcome these challenges? Thank you. Thank you for that great uh, presentation, San, and for giving us um, some insight into what is happening in South Korea. Before we carry on with lots of meaty issues, we've already had some questions about the TRIPS waiver. We have lots to discuss, but before we go there, let's please hear from Gustavo Mata in Brazil. Thank you very much, to Lauren and Elise, so for invitation, especially to the People House Movement uh, from South Africa. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I will try to, to go direct to the point, but uh, uh, first, I, didn't, I don't uh, intend to, to present the long history of Brazil about vaccine production, especially in the Oswald Cruz Foundation since the, uh, the, the beginning of uh, 20th century in Brazil. So uh, first I would like to, to show you this uh, graphic. It's something that you already know, but it was in uh, May of this year to show the inequality of the access and the distribution of vaccine in the whole world. So, and actually how uh, high income and upper middle income countries concentrate all the doses of COVID-19 all over the world. So, and uh, this is already uh, know about you. So what is the point? This point is we have to face the immense inequality of vaccine production, especially in the global south. So in Brazil, probably you already know as well, we have been suffering of economic and political crisis since 2013. The economic austerity and the privatization interest is so big, especially in the health field. Uh, the politic politicization of COVID-19 pandemic debate is uh, tragic uh, because, you know, uh, in Brazil, we have a long history of vaccine confidence and we start to face uh, a vaccine exigency uh, responses from society. So there is a complete lack of uh, uh, 
coordination in the federal government. So state and municipalities are responding on it. And uh, what is uh, the point here again is the scientific and research and development institution, especially the public, uh, like few crews and uh, public university are responding right now to mitigate a COVID-19 impact in Brazil, especially producing vaccine. We have since uh, 1973 an important and uh, big uh, national immunization program with a lot of confidence, and we have many problems since uh, 2017 about distribution and what we call uh, uh, vaccine policies, right? There's many, many aspects of distribution, access and confidence, and there is a decreasing uh, curve here uh, about, uh, for instance, uh, the, the tripoviral uh, vaccine in Brazil. So uh, the main important vaccine research and factories in Brazil are Biomanguinhos in Fiocruz and Butantan Institute. Here you can see a list of the, all the, the vaccines that we already uh, produce. Uh, the, the point here is uh, we don't uh, create any uh, new vaccine. We receive a technology transfer. So I think that is another point to discuss in the Global South, how to strengthen and innovate to create and have partnerships since the beginning of creation, production, and distribution of vaccines in the Global South. So there are many, many historical strategies, especially uh, PAHO, uh, WHO, and UNICEF funding since 1917, so, 1970, so that uh, push uh, ahead the Brazilian vaccination production, but mainly the public investment in uh, uh, vaccine in Brazil. So uh, this is a kind of a path dependency that we can see uh, that the uh, public sector in Brazil is very strong and sometimes very competitive with private uh, markets, right? So uh, also that uh, there is a lot of partnerships on product development in our PDPs. So uh, the intention is to have self-sufficient program in immunologicals since 1985, but uh, uh, this is not uh, achieved until now. So uh, that's it. It's, it is still a big challenge in how to uh, have a science, technology, and uh, innovation. And I think that it's, it's not a, just a problem in Brazil. Uh, the main point is how we can avoid global South competition, because we already have the very, comp the, the very competitive arena from global North and global South. And when we are creating uh, and fragmented global policies about vaccines, probably we could promote competition among us. So I'm sorry, I'm, in, I'm running because of the time, but uh, there's a lot of um, uh, questions to, to 
to share. So without vaccine loan income countries increase social, economic, political and humanitarian crisis, not just for now, but for generations. Now we can see the vaccination of children in the global north and in Brazil, especially we are stopped about COVID-19. In Brazil, more than uh, 600,000 families have lost their relatives. In an equal country, deaths can devastate social groups as indigenous people and improve gender issues. Health system and social security are collapsing right now. And when international uh, public health uh, emergency of international concern uh, is over, there's no interest anymore to invest in the global south. Uh, for instance, during the Zika uh, uh, outbreak in Brazil, when uh, WHO declares the end of uh, public health international emergency, uh, the, the funding and response uh, to the Zika uh, outbreak stop completely. We don't have investments to produce a vaccine right now. Fiocruz is continuing to invest in a vaccine to dengue and the four serotypes of dengue and also uh, Zika as well at the moment, but uh, the funding is not enough. Brazil has a very strong scientific and industrial uh, structure for health, producing excellent research, medicines, and biopharmaceuticals to provide to our national health system for public with no profit uh, interests. So now when we have the running to uh, COVID-19, we have a kind of a struggle of public interests and privatization in Brazil. For uh, uh, for instance, right now, Oxford uh, launched uh, probably a new uh, clinical uh, unity in Brazil related to private sector to develop uh, clinical trials on vaccine and pharmaceuticals as well without few crews or any public institution partnership. So uh, I think that it's also a big threat. Uh, Inequities in global health policies and the fragile uh, health diplomacy has been difficult the access to health supplies and technologies to assess vaccines, biopharmaceutical masks, medical ventilations in low income countries, as you, you all already know. So emergencies and re-emergencies in global health has to be completely redesigned to develop and improve global south sustainability and international cooperation to prepare and respond to health and humanitarian issues. So uh, that's it. I would like to discuss a bit more in the QA uh, session. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Gustavo. Okay, let's get into it. We'll try to be as quickly as possible or quick as possible, should I say. Um, so, so a couple of kind of issues that I picked up out of those three themes is that obviously we had a, we've had a big discussion about um, inequality. Um, uh, you know, the papers issue has come up, and also actual capacity. So, I guess perhaps my my first question would be, um, Patrick, we've we've heard a lot, um, you know, now uh, from Gustavo about the inequality that's happening in the global south. We see what's happened in Brazil layers of inequality, not just about the lack of vaccine access, but then filtering down to gender issues and indigenous. We also know here in Africa, um, you know, that sort of um, 
estimates put vaccine access to at about 5% on the continent. So this is an issue, of course, that you know, we are trying to address. Um, some of um, the pharmaceutical corporations and even some of uh, the more conservative side of the press like to imply that we don't actually have the vaccine manufacturing capacity in the continent. So in your first slide, you named a number of countries that are looking at producing COVID vaccines, but you, we would love to hear a little bit about um, how we can debunk some of those myths that that cannot be happening in Africa, that, you know, we don't have the R&D like Gustavo just mentioned, um, or, you know, we don't have the capacity here in terms of human resources. So, Kate, thanks for that question. Uh, my response to, to, the, uh, to that question in short is, if we do nothing, yes, you're right, we, we will never be able to do it. Everybody had to start somewhere at some time. Even India now, which is the... Uh, the hub of the world when it comes to vaccine production uh, and the supply of vaccine in volumes coming out of India, where uh, I think collectively they supply, they're the biggest supplier of vaccines by volume into the world. They weren't there 20 years ago. Uh, so so uh, it is possible to build. It's not only possible to build, it's necessary to build for the reasons that we all know. Um, I don't think that's the argument. Um, the argument, in my opinion, uh, is that we must change the question. The question is not, can it be done? Of course it can be done. Nothing's impossible. The, it's difficult, so how are we going to overcome the difficulties of building it? And that's where the, our questions ought to be directed. So we have to create a market systems that incentivize investment. That's, that's one of, the, one of the, uh, the points, the key points that ABMI tries to uh, uh, um, trumpet. Uh, so that there is an incentive for partnerships to form. And these partnerships bring access to technology. They bring skills development, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they also accelerate the pace of learning. So I refuse to believe, Kate, that Africa can't do it. Uh, we have seen Aspen in South Africa partnering with Johnson & Johnson for the production of uh, a COVID vaccine. Hundreds of millions uh, of doses are being produced in the South African factory already. We know we have got deals with, with BioVac. Vaxir has got deals with, uh, uh, with companies. I mentioned Morocco, et cetera. So it is being done. Whether people like it or not, it is being done. What we need to do is speed it up. And you spoke a little, Patrick, in your presentation about sustainability. I've heard some mention over the last few months that it wouldn't be fair for a company like Biovac or Bio or anyone for that matter, you know, just to be doing huge investment, whether it's a partnership, whether it's public investment, however, if it were to be narrowly focused on producing one COVID vaccine, that th this is a long-term plan, that we need sustainable investment, um, you know, perhaps you could mention that. Another thing that I've heard on or reflect on that as well is that we need institutions like um, the uh, sort of Gavi and Vaccine Alliance to be able to support procurement from Africa. I think Strive Masiwa has been very outspoken about that when he's spoken about procurement and Avat. And I just wondered if, um, you know, what your thoughts were on those on those particular issues. Uh, Kate, I, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, the first thing that I think everybody needs to recognize 
that this is not about building COVID-19 vaccine production capacity only. Obviously, it is the trigger that has drawn our attention to the fact that we lack this capacity and therefore uh, are caught on the back foot in, in terms of our ability to respond to our own health needs. But COVID-19 is just the catalyst. Uh, when we talk about sustainability, we can't build a sustainable business case on pandemic vaccine production. So we, 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 we invest now uh, time, effort and money. And in two or three years time, the demand goes down and we might not have another pandemic for another 10 years. And so, so we need to find an operational model that keeps the facilities warm. Uh, it keeps the, the, uh, all the value chain logis logistics in place. It keeps the, uh, the workforce uh, 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 skilled up and on point, ready to, uh, ready to respond. So the broader issue of vaccine production needs to be tackled. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, that's critically important to, to appreciate that we're not focused on COVID-19 specifically or, vaccine, or pandemic vaccines specifically. It needs to be built on, on routine uh, immunization. And therefore, your, your second point about UNICEF and Gavi, uh, uh, we, we've had AVAT come into formation on the African continent. There needs to be dialogue so that there is a, a reformation of the, of the procurement systems and the way it's uh, uh, currently impacting the, uh, the continent. And for one moment, we don't expect the, the, the switch to be flicked overnight and, and overnight things, things are going to change. But th this needs to be mapped out moving, uh, uh, over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Thank you, Patrick. Um, okay, so that's looking a bit at the sustainability issue and looking a little bit more medium term. Let's look at the immediate term and let's look at the barriers. So we've had already a question from Andisa Mbali. Thank you very much about how we look at the tricks. Uh, TRIPS flexibilities. We've also had, I think, a question come up about licenses. So I'd like to open this yeah. both to um, Gustavo and Kim. Uh, so I beg your pardon, Sun Kim. Uh, firstly, to you, Sun, you, you talked about patents um, and, um, you know, what was happening in the South Korea situation and almost the contradiction um, that the country is not behind the TRIPS waiver. For those of um, members in the audience um, who, who are not aware, um, I'm sure many of you are, South Africa and India proposed the waiver of intellectual property at the World Trade Organization uh, a year and a little over a year ago. And there's a huge meeting coming up um, with those ministers at the WTO. And there's a lot of um, public pressure in the pipeline on this TRIPS waiver issue. Um, so perhaps um, soon you could maybe tell us our audience about why not just South Korea, you know, but particularly in the global South, um, we need countries to address IP as a particular, um, you know, barrier to boosting production. I think, I believe Gustavo would be a better person to reply to those, this the question is, I am aware about the history of uh, Brazil, uh, the, the, uh, regarding the South-South cooperation uh, uh, to expand the local production of lots of uh, vaccines in many, so many countries, especially in Portuguese-speaking countries like Mozambique or others. Um, even though I can, I could say about the, the barrier of uh, IP uh, 
uh, that hinders uh, access to medicines with the experiences of South Korea. As like uh, I uh, introduced uh, during my slide, there was a legal case between the South Korean company and Pfizer. And it was very clear uh, to uh, see, I mean, with that uh, vaccine in our hands, it was very clear to lower the vaccine prices of the PCV vaccines, uh, uh, which is currently, which has been currently uh, monopolized by those uh, two vaccine companies. And, and it was uh, clear uh, to see that uh, this advisor, the transnational company, tried to hinder the, the launch of the new products, uh, especially uh, under the context that that will be much uh, 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 less expensive than their own and, and, and so on. So that is the case. That is the experiences of IP barrier in our context. Thank you so much, yeah. Sun. Um, Gustavo, you know, anything from you. So as Sun uh, pointed out, we've, you know, in terms of global solidarity, it's been a little bit complicated where Brazil has sat in terms of the TRIPS waiver, but without getting too bogged down into the kind of granular detail um, of who is blocking the waiver, you know, perhaps you can reflect a bit on, um, you know, why, why this is such an important development and why, um, you know, we really need to see perhaps more flexibility. In particular, perhaps also bringing in a little bit what is happening in Brazil recently um, with the debate that's been happening, I think it was in your Senate, about um, compulsory licenses. And, and, you know, what sort of measures can we take um, to really sort of address this intellectual property issue, um, generally in the global south, but in particular, you know, here in the continent? Um, you know, what could help to make, you know, uh, BioVac and other suppliers um, able to, to produce more here? <laughs> well, there are big challenges here. Uh, so uh, looking at the past, and as soon uh, mentioned uh, uh, exactly what uh, we had tried to do uh, some decades ago, uh, for instance, related to HIV, AIDS um, and medicines, we could break uh, the licenses in the WTC, right? So we could start the national production of antiretrovirus and distribute not just in Brazil, but also in South Africa, in South America, and also uh, Africa, uh, Portuguese spoke countries. So uh, I think that it was a great, great experience, but it was as a kind of a lesson to the big farmer as well. So how to avoid countries as Brazil uh, to, to do it again. So I, I think uh, uh, we have um, new, to create new arenas. I think GAVE is fantastic arena, it's very important to participate, but uh, there is uh, unbalance uh, power between big countries, big companies, and uh, institutions as few crews and in South Africa or in India as well. So we could fragment a global South perspective to create research and produce vaccine, right? So we don't want to be anymore a kind of a reproduction factory when we receive uh, technology transfer. We need 
to research. We need to uh, produce nationally and in the global south. Uh, for instance, again, why we could not have a kind of a global agreement, especially with few crews in AstraZeneca Oxford to produce, to research and produce uh, uh, AstraZeneca vaccines since the beginning together. We have all the conditions to do it. So we have to think on policies, right? It's a kind of the problem, the, the matter is power right, economic and political power, geopolitical power. So the whole world, so it's, it's, uh, we can't live anymore with a kind of uh, death inequality, right? It is costing lives all over the world. So uh, how to face it? I think, again, we have to strengthen South-South cooperation. So with public interest, how it's impossible to produce vaccine with reagents and technology without private sector, but how to face it, how to manage it uh, politically. We have more than health diplomacy. We have to strengthen South-South cooperation in from the, the global South to discuss with the global North. I think that we can could create a new arena beyond Gavi, for instance, right? It's not against WHO, not about it, but it's not enough. We know what happened in, in the WHO, how the budget of uh, uh, WHO is, is uh, constructed, right? So by uh, extra budget, uh, investments in specific programs. The regular budget is too low compared with uh, international and geopolitical interests. So we can be naive about this. Sure. I think actually talking a bit about naivety, and I, I know there's been a question here from Andreas as well about the role of the, the private sector. And, you know, Patrick, you mentioned as well, you know, the importance of, um, you, you know, having a sort of market orientated approach. So I guess perhaps the question begs is how do we ensure that there, particularly when there's huge investment um, from, you know, intertech transfers and that sort of thing, um, how do we ensure that this is translated into public goods? So when we're involving um, huge pharmaceuticals that are profit driven, um, you know, what can be done to make sure that these tech transfers are done in the right sort of way as well? And to make sure that when these um, bilateral deals are negotiated, um, you know, whether it be in Brazil um, or whether it be with SK Bio, you know, supplying the rest of um, the developing world, but particularly here in Africa, so that those deals um, are also not too prescriptive and they, you know, a a allow a sort of a degree of autonomy, um, you know, so that, for example, we don't have the issue like we had uh, a little while ago where some of the Johnson & Johnson doses um, were sent to the European Union instead of directly going here in the continent. Um, you know, I, I think from what I understand, the deal that is negotiated between BioVac and Pfizer, um, you know, that that we those doses are supposed to be de destined for the continent. But those sorts of things, um, pharmaceutical companies don't do altruistically, shall I say. Um, how do we make sure that we can sort of put pressure on them as Africans and uh, as local producers? 
Yeah, so I think that obviously uh, the deals are struck bilaterally, as you say, Kate. And first of all, the deal is struck because uh, the partners involved in the deal see that there is an opportunity to create a win-win situation. And why is it a win-win-win situation? Because you have the two companies involved. They will obviously need to be, uh, uh, they, they need, there needs to be a commercial return. And I'm not talking about obscene uh, uh, um, uh, uh, quantities of money, but there needs to be a commercial return for sustainability purposes and for reinvestment purposes. So that's, I think that, that the general public and politicians, et cetera, need to understand that, that uh, uh, commercial activity is not a swear word. It, it, it's actually critically important as, as a fuel to, to ensure that this thing keeps, uh, keeps going. But the third win in that win-win-win is that there is benefit health-wise, and in a pandemic situation, it's uh, one could say it's national security benefit as well. So, 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 so one can put one can have a push mechanism where two companies get together and say, "Here's an opportunity. Let's create a, let's create a deal, make vaccine, and and send it into the market." The, uh, the market, which sits largely in government sands, also needs to create a pool mechanism that, that, that says something along the following lines, that if you make this vaccine on the continent or in a specific region or in a specific country, we guarantee access to those markets for a period of time that is lucrative enough to, for the sending unit to say, here's a good opportunity for us not only to do good, but to, to, to ensure that we also uh, make some commercial return. And I think that it must, it must, uh, 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 it must be enabled so that the, so that it comes to rest at a, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a balanced way. But, but uh, it's market-driven. There's no doubt about that. It needs to be, uh, uh, um, I think, largely looked through the lens of, of, of private companies with a commercial return. Otherwise, it's not going to be sustainable. Sun, would you, would you agree with that, considering the model that you have in South Korea? I mean, how, how, how would you see this in terms of lessons learned from your part of the world and, and the way things work and, and the high public investment you've had in South Korea? Mm. If I can, if I say it uh, in more naive way, I would say that South Korean government should uh, impose more conditionality uh, regarding their public investment to the industry, to the research institutes and universities, etc. But uh, if I uh, when I compare the real amounts, the, the, the size of the public investment by the South Korean government itself uh, with the public investment from the global uh, 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 agencies like Gavi, SAPI or others, it is huge. It's way more huge than the investment by the South Korean uh, government itself. So I would say that uh, the, the international cooperation is the most th important thing to actually pressure the, the companies, not only the transnational pharma like Pfizer, Moderna or others, but also for the individual local pharma like SK Bio or Samsung or others. 
uh, that actually means for them as the, the amount is more and more uh, enormous for them. So I could see that the questions from the floor that uh, uh, the BRICS is the best forum for the cooperation or others. And I would say we should seek all the different ways to pressure. Of course, the BRICS is one of the things and we, we should also pressure the Gavi and Zappi to uh, have more conditionality over their investment as those amount are the combination of the individual member states' contribution and those are our money, our public money. Yeah, thanks. No, the more we can pressure them and, and, and also pressuring Gavi and Zappi themselves, as I mentioned earlier when I asked Patrick, you know, to getting them to procure from the continent to to support the local manufacturing here too. So there is a whole reshift. Um, I'm, I'm afraid we are running out of time. Um, so just quickly to touch on one or two other questions here in the thread, um, Gustavo and Lean asked about um, how we could strengthen South-South cooperation. Perhaps I might make it a little bit more specific in your closing comment. Um, in the lead up to um, the TRIPS um, sort of, negotiations that are happening and the World Trade Organization, what can CSOs do um, in Brazil, uh, in South Africa and elsewhere um, to really kind of make an impact to change things in terms of IP, but more broadly as well? Well, uh, uh, I'm not, uh, I am a social scientist, so I would like to, to respond to you. In, in this way. So uh, we had in Brazil a big investment since the 2003 until 2013, right? Then we will start to have a new economic and political crisis. So uh, now the current government cut 95% uh, of the budget to uh, science and technology in Brazil, right? 95%, it's too much, right? Especially during a pandemic situation. So um, for me, the main challenge in the global South, and this is not just a national problem, but also a geopolitical problem, how to face the political cycles, right? Uh, in different contexts, in different moments, to continue uh, investing in South-South perspective and public uh, goods, and also how to respond to social needs. So uh, the radical neoliberalism that we are living now is devastated. Right, so uh, the political economic crisis in Brazil is a domestic problem, but not at all. Right, it's a geopolitical dynamic when we can see uh, Boris Johnson, uh, Trump, Bolsonaro, and other national leads in this arena. So um, that's why, for me, it's the, the main challenge is, is how to stabilize, how to um give a sustainable um governance or initiatives uh, to continue this kind of initiatives i think that we already know what how the way 
uh, we go um, forward. But uh, yes. Thanks, Gustavo. Okay. And sorry, guys, time is tight. I'm sorry as well. There's so many fantastic questions here in the thread. We haven't even got time to ask. I know my colleague, um, Candace, had a really fantastic question about Rwanda for Patrick. We're going to have to try and um, revisit this topic, um, either hosted by PHM or, or, or elsewhere to, to really flesh these issues out. But as we're trying to keep it to an hour, sorry to do this, but in one minute, closing comment from you, son. Anything about lessons learned um, in particular for, for the African continent? Let me have a moment to think about. Sure, we'll go to you, Patrick, closing comment before we go to Sun. Sorry to put you on the spot there. Yeah, Patrick, so closing comments about the African continent and what we need. Um, any like yeah. a few more bullet points to, to make sure that, you know, manufacturing here basically to go full circle, make sure that we address inequality. Um, and the lack of um, access to vaccines? Well, the lack of access to vaccines is being addressed through the efforts to establish local capacity. It's very encouraging that even as the PABM and the framework for action within the PABM, uh, the Partnership for African Vaccine Manufacturing uh, uh, comes into focus, that already there are, there are um, areas of progress and achievements with respect to building this capacity. I think that governments need to, uh, need to really uh, make a solid commitment over a period of time. And that's going to be absolutely critical that all these efforts that we've, that we've currently uh, uh, are witnessing will bear the fruit. But this is not a 100 meter dash. It's a long distance race. We need to see this as a 10 or 20 year uh, uh, um, um, activity, set of activities that we're involved in. But I think we're off to a good start. We've turned the corner. Let's make the most of it now. Thank you, Patrick. And just before I come to Sun as well, um, thank you again so much to our audience for joining us. There's really fantastic chat happening here. I mean, over and above what Lauren had mentioned earlier about whether or not BRICS is the kind of um, forum that we need that Sun touched on earlier in one of her answers. Um, we've obviously had you know, there's a lot of discussion going on about the African Union. Um, I see that we have mentioned here as well about regional groups that maybe even go a little, um, you know, smaller than just the AU, um, whether it's, uh, you know, economic community of West African states, SADC, et cetera. That is a huge topic, something we definitely need to revisit. We really appreciate everyone's comments on this. Um, and, you know, thank you so much, everyone, for your input. Um, but... I'm afraid we have run out of time. So, Sun, any any last um, parting shots from you before we thank you everyone and wrap up? So, I'd like to share my thoughts that, uh, as Patrick said, there is no such thing impossible. So, Africa can develop its own manufacturing capacity, of course. And I think this is such a great momentum of having the, the mRNA vaccine technology hub in South Africa and having the the great political will, at least uh, in the global arena of the South Korean, uh, South African government. And you have such a great regional uh, cooperation via uh, AU. So I do uh, hope and, and, and expect a great result of those. Thank you so much, Sun. And um, yeah, just to touch on um, a couple of issues as we wrap up to remember that, of course, what we're all trying to do is to ensure that um, 
we have better vaccine, uh, vaccine access that is in the public interest. So whether it's people's health movements, um, you know, from, from Doctors Without Borders, a number of other organizations, a number of local manufacturers as well, um, um, you know, that we really need to ensure that that happens and, and, and how we get there, there might be differing opinions, but it's really important. There's also a big discussion, obviously, ongoing, as Lauren has touched on here, um, about, you know, having conditionality brought into contracts. That's something that Sun mentioned as well. Um, conditionality for funding, um, whether we look at um, voluntary licenses and whether or not they're sufficient, uh, how we understand compulsory licenses, how we understand patents. We haven't even really got a chance to properly unpack technology transfer and how important that is um, and how many organizations are calling for the open sharing of technology transfer. And sometimes it's incredibly frustrating um, because we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of these global pharmaceutical corporations not heeding that call, um, that they are still putting profits um, ahead of people. As Gustavo has said, the death toll from COVID-19 in Brazil is absolutely devastating. If we see it um, in India, I know from my own colleagues who work with Doctors Without Borders, they treat those patients every day. We know here in South Africa that the excess deaths are astronomical. The numbers are vastly unrecorded um, in what's happening in the continent. Um, so this is something that we can have a really technical conversation. We can talk about manufacturing. Um, we can talk about inequality. We can talk about all of the issues. But at the end of the day, that's what this really boils down to. And it really boils down to saving lives and what we can do and how we can shift the narratives so that we can see better access in the global south. Um, we can see more manufacturing happening in Africa that has been neglected. Um, and we can make sure that we find alternatives for the system that we have at the moment, particularly with the power held by large um, corporations and particularly pharmaceutical corporations. So thank you very much everyone for joining us. Please do continue this conversation. Um, uh, People's Health Movement South Africa will be making um, parts of this webinar available. Um, so please look out for those YouTube links. Please follow them on Twitter, um, get in touch, PHM do great work. Um, there are a number of other civil society organizations around the world who really are making sure that not only the power of pharmaceutical companies are uh, checked and balanced and made accountable, but also that, um, you know, of the governments that are making these deals. So um, really just to end on a positive note after the dire note about the death, there's still hope. Um, and really, I'm obviously biased, but I believe it um, lies in civil society. And I believe that they too should be having oversight of all of these deals that are happening um, around the world and here in Africa. Thank you very, very much and to be on silent and uh, please join us again soon for another conversation hosted by PHM.